0: You know, Jesus says, God's not willing to let anybody stay lost. And this is why I think he died for for the sins of the whole world. Now we're over into a different principle, which is articulated in Romans chapter five, and Paul also refers to it in Ephesians, uh, chapter two, it says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us and brought us to life.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We cannot do this journey of faith for you. It is something that you must do on your own, but we can come alongside you to guide you, to encourage you, to uh, challenge you sometimes. But ultimately, it is something that you have to do, and we are just here to... Come alongside you. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and we cannot do the salty pastor podcast without the salty mm-hmm. pastor himself, Dr. Douglas peak.
0: Hey, welcome everybody. This, uh, is a brand new series. We're going to be starting. And I think that, uh, it's going to be really cool. Some of the things we're going to do, it is also Memorial day, uh, weekend. And that's where we, uh, really go and celebrate the sacrifices that people made. And I I think we do this particularly in the church because it's not a celebration of war at all. It's people though, a celebration and honoring of people who have sacrificed in defense of the innocent and, uh, it actually started from a group of Christians three weeks after the Confederate surrender on May 1st, 1865, Mm. 1000 people who were recently freed from enslavement, accompanied by regiments of the U S colored troops. This is including the Massachusetts 54th infantry, which was fairly well known at that time and a handful of white, uh, people from Charleston gathered in the camp to consecrate a new proper burial site for all of the union dead. And so what they were doing is that they were honoring the sacrifice. And so the real question is why did Christians embrace the celebration of Memorial Day? It wasn't to celebrate war, but to celebrate the bravery of men and women who believed in fighting for something that was very true and critical, and that was the abolition of slavery. So it's really important to understand, uh, why we honor and value these principles on Memorial day. And so we're going to kick off a whole new series throughout the entire summer with this emphasis on Memorial day.
1: Yeah, and we are, like you said, kicking off a brand new series, a series where we're going to be going to the movies each Yay, week.
0: at the movies! At the movies
1: is the title of this particular series. It's going to be our summer series, and we are going to... Um, learn more about our faith, learn, uh, about how we can improve in our walk through the medium of movies. Everybody loves movies and we constantly reference them. Um, they're a source of reference that we as humans understand, right. And so we're going to use those to help teach some principles that are stated in the gospel, but we maybe will understand them a little bit better Mm -hmm. in a form that we're more used to consuming on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be doing that. Um, the, the format of the podcast is going to change a little as well, because we are, are, are studying these movies. We're going to kind of invert the process of the Bible study. We're going to begin with the story or the example, and then show the underlying biblical principles that the movie. Has based its drama on. Yes. Um, So, what movie are we kicking off to highlight this new series and a new approach here on the podcast? Well,
0: since it's Memorial Day, it's appropriate. We're going to start with Saving Private Ryan. Okay. So, it's a a excellent, outstanding war movie. One of the last really great war movies about World War II. Most recent one made, but it was made in 1998 or Mm -hmm. released in 1998. That's 24 years ago. And it was starring Tom Hanks, uh, Matt Damon, Ed Burns, Vin Diesel is in it, you know, when he was just starting his career before the fast cars. Yeah. Before all the cars, it's a, a fictional story of a small team of soldiers tasked with finding the last surviving son of the Ryan. Family, it's a pr- fairly simple story. Mr. And Mrs. Ryan had four sons and th- then they all went off to war in the forties, world war II. and in a strange series of deployments, three were killed in action. And the fourth was dropped behind enemy lines on D day. So three of them died in a very relatively close period of time in the movie. And so the trap, the top brass back in the United States noticed these all happening, and uh, that there was only one Ryan left, the fourth son. So they said he should be sent home in order that the Ryans would have one child left to carry on the family name. So thus begins the story. And what's really interesting is it begins uh, with the old Ryan and it ends with the old Ryan, but very early on. They see, it talks about over and over. They, you hear the reading of the letter that is written to the family that talks about, we thank you for your family's sacrifice. Mm. So it, it really deals with the difficulty of the war, the struggle, the sacrifice that many people paid in order to win the war. So. This whole thing is about these, these 10 soldiers about who are led by captain Miller, which is Tom Hanks. And he set out to find the lost private Ryan and the movie is about their search. So as they are searching, they are confronted with multiple roadblocks that they have to fight through. And each time they lose a member of their team. And this is a group of men who fought together since the beginning of the war. They were, they were really close. So the whole movie is this kind of, uh, process of them fighting to get to their, to complete their mission, but losing their friends along the way.
1: Right. So this movie kind of follows a classic structure where Mm -hmm. a team of men set out on a mission. Um, and they confront obstacles mm-hmm. that they must overcome. Um, which creates a lot of drama and you know, it's a war movie. So some great fight scenes <laughs> great as fight well, scenes, yes. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it also is deeper than that. This is not mm-hmm. just a, a shoot em up movie that you go for the fluff of action. It's talking about this question and, 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 and the questions raised multiple times by these men of what's the point of their mission and the extent of their duty.
0: Yeah. That's the first theme I think that really bubbles to the surface and that these characters have to wrestle with. And that is what is our personal duty? Mm. You see the men have fought side by side all throughout North Africa And they're all pretty close. They know each other, they're friends. They have a deep respect for captain Miller, their company commander and his capacity to lead them. And and to understand how this works in the army is that every man, every private is put into a squad and a squad can be anywhere from five to 10 soldiers, depending upon what the purpose of their squad is. And then you can have anywhere from three to five you know, squads make up a platoon. So platoon can have 50 guys in it really, really easily, maybe even more. Mm. And then what will turn around is that you'll have a number of platoons make up a company. So, uh, in world war two, the most famous company was probably easy company because Steven Ambrose, the historian wrote about easy company. And then HBO made a uh, entire mini series called the band of brothers on easy company of uh, the 101st airborne. And so, uh, this captain Miller was in charge of this company. So he could easily have been over between 100 and 250 men. And I, and so he picked out of that, like 10 guys that had fought with him a long time, his company sergeant was with him uh played by Tom Sizemore. And then what they do is they are given this task to go and find this person. So early on, they often discuss how their mission is now a person instead of a military objective, and they wonder how their lives are being used. Why are we being used to save the life of another? Why aren't they saving my life? Right. Mm. And so it's an issue of duty. What responsibility do they have to focus on saving one life when they're trying to fight in a war to save everyone's life. So they're really struggling with this question of duty or responsibility. And so the, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, this whole concept of, of what responsibility should we accept in this? We aren't sure. You know, uh, is why is our life not as important as their life? You know, and there's a bunch of scenes that kind of. Kind of deal with this question, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the scenes I would like to talk about is this, um, the scene that involves the glider, right? The, the accident with the glider. And so this gliders carrying 30 men, including a general and someone Decided to weld steel to the bottom of the glider to protect the general, right? Yes. Theoretically, great idea. Problem is as a pilot, what's the issue with welding a giant plate of steel to the Uh, bottom of an aircraft?
0: It's weight. It's Yeah. The biggest issue in flying anything uh, is weight. You always have to uh, do a weight and balance before you ever fly. That's one of the first things that the pilot is taught to do. You have to calculate the weight the balance and the center of gravity before you even start the plane.
1: Because if you don't have enough thrust or propulsion, then yeah. you are yeah. no longer flying or gliding. You're it's just basic physics. Falling. Yeah, <laughs> a
0: wing, a wing on an airplane can only create so much lift, right? Right. And so you gotta, you gotta realize, okay, this wing is this big, so it can only lift this much weight. And so they go in there and it, they'd calculated that, oh, we can put 30 men on this glider with a Jeep. Right. Right. And, uh, fly it over there without any problem, but they're pushing the weight limit on it. Right. And the other thing about a glider, the reason they use gliders is because they didn't have enough engines.
1: Right. And so they're literally just as Buzz Lightyear likes to say, they're falling with style, right?
0: Falling with style. And so
1: they, they attach the steel plate, but the weight calculations were off. So they had way too much weight. And so this increased weight causes the glider to crash and it kills the general that they were attempting to protect with the steel plate and 22 men. Yes. So all of this damage was because they were like, well, this general's more important. We need to do these extra things for him. Right. It was all because all this damage was because of one person, no matter what the good intentions were, all of the damage was due to this one One person person. and the value that his life. Yeah had on it yeah, according supposedly to the military. yeah supposedly
0: right. more than somebody else right. yeah
1: so they use the term foobar which yeah. um i've heard multiple definitions of this but we'll say uh fouled the pg up, yes the the pg version is fouled up beyond all repair yeah. or recognition or whatever right yeah. like there's there's um some less pg versions that are yes. used sometimes but the the situations pretty they fouled say that a lot. Up. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and what they're doing i think what's really interesting is is every time they they say foobar and every time they like this situation with the general why why was so much wasted to protect this guy and it ended up killing him anywhere it's just a foobar and what they're actually doing i think this is what's really important to understand is that when you go and you watch a movie and you see a movie and that movie resonates with you or you say, boy, that was a great movie and movie critics will say, well, it was a great movie because you know, it was the cinematography and the score and the actors and blah, blah, blah. But if there's a philosopher out there by the name of Dr. Peter Kraft, and he says that what, what makes a movie great are all of these, uh, you have to have a really good story. You have to have really good acting. You also have to really have really good cinematography. And he says, but the underlying point is what creates a really great story. What Mm -hmm. creates a really great story. And when you boil it all down, it always comes to biblical principles. And that's why movies are loved. I think is it's our subconscious spiritual desire. No clarity on on these principles that are revealed in the scripture, and that's why I'm excited about you know you and Zach and Chase are doing this new podcast where you're just going to talk about movies.
1: We're calling it Real Stake. Which real is R E E L? Okay, so, and we're getting into the meat of the movie,
0: the, the real steak, real
1: steak. <laughs> we figure it'll pair well with the salty pastor, the salty
0: pastor, we're, and real. All steak. of
1: our podcasts will just have some sort of food analogy. Analogy, that's it. right.
0: Guy Fierro would be so happy. Um, one of the things I think is important, though, is that in this particular case, they're talking about food bar, and why are we? Why are all these accommodations being made for one person? And what they're basically debating is the parable of the law lost sheep,
1: mm.
0: you know, why, why would you leave protecting the 99, right. In order to go find a lost sheep, because the sheep is lost because it's dumber than all the other sheep,
1: right? It needs more, protection. it needs more
0: protection. It's like, oh my goodness. But Jesus talks about this concept. He goes, verse, uh, 12 of chapter 18 of the gospel. According to Matthew, he says, what do you think? In other words, how would you feel about this situation? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And when he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off in the same way. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So the issue is what is our duty to the lost?
1: So we, we see another analogy in this, um, in this movie. It, mm-hmm. it comes up a couple of times. But basically, as they're proceeding through these obstacles, all of these fights, I mean, the obstacles um, are basically represented in these little battles, these fights that they go through. Each fight they clear, they basically lose right. a person of their team. Yeah. A member is lost, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they always say, man, I hope this Ryan guy is worth it.
0: Yeah. So, so it's interesting because now we're at a little different, uh, biblical kind of principle. I think, uh, the first one is about duty and what's our duty to the lost. And you know, Jesus says, God's not willing to let anybody stay lost. And this is why I think he died for, for the sins of the whole world. Now we're over into a different principle, which is articulated in Romans chapter five. And Paul also refers to it in Ephesians, uh, chapter two, it says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us and brought us to life. And then in Romans chapter five, verse six, it says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, in essence, what Paul's saying is that, well, you know, we really weren't worth it, right. I mean, if you're just looking at a basic valuation, you're you're putting value on a life, yeah, and we're not worth it because we're sinners, we're right. But so the reason that Christ died for us wasn't because we were valuable, but because he loved us. So that just demonstrates how much he, he was willing to, uh, what lengths he was go to, to express his love. Verse nine says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only. Is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, during the movie, the team is constantly facing battles and they keep losing someone on their team. And each time they wrestle with the question, if this Ryan is worth it, it's like, man, this guy, now how come this one person is worth it while we're dying? It doesn't make any sense. And that's this underlying struggle with duty. When does my responsibility end and when does a person's, uh, uh, my responsibility to that person end, particularly when it's based on their value. Now, this is something that the medical community has wrestled through over and over again and why they take the, uh, ancient Greek, uh, Hippocrates uh, called the Hippocratic oath, and that is when does a doctor's responsibility to treat a patient end based on the patient's own choices or lifestyle,
1: Mm.
0: you know, can it Can you refuse treatment to a patient based on the value of their life? And according to the Hippocratic oath, you can't, you, you have to save everybody. And sometimes in war that would create quite a problem, right? And you've seen some drama on various, uh, uh, TV shows that deal with medical things, you know, like hospitals and stuff like that. And that is, is that a terrorist commits an act of terror and gets shot by the cops. So they bring the vic- innocent victims into the ER and then the terrorist comes. Who do you treat first? Right. You know? And so it's like, well, we're going to treat the terrorist first. Cause he's based on their basic treatment protocols and triage, you treat the the, the one who's, injured. yeah, the most injured. Uh, but if you do that, it takes away attention from the innocent person who, if they're not treated immediately, then they're going to have damaging impact the rest of their life.
1: Well, and we see a similar kind of quandary in the dark Knight Cause if we're in our movie life, yeah. Then okay. About dark Batman. Knight, yeah. Batman, the dark mm-hmm. Knight. there's the Joker puts two groups of people on these fairies and basically gives them the option of blowing, blowing each, each other, other up. up. Otherwise they, all die or they uh, all die. Right. And so then there's a similar value based system where, you know, the people. there's a, a, a boat that's full of prisoners from the, the, um, prison. Yeah. And then there's a boat full of just
0: common, families, common
1: families and whatever. And the argument becomes, well, they deserve to die. They did something bad. Whatever. Like, let's just blow up the prison boat, and the prisoners are like, you know, we're already paying our penance. You know, yeah. whatever. And so there's this value base of whose life matters yeah. more, right? Yeah. Is it the and people that make mistakes? Yeah. One of the great things in or? that,
0: yeah, one of the great scenes in that movie, you know, is they had one of those actors, you know, and he was. uh, he was, the, you know, in the uh, Green Mile. Mm-hmm. You remember that with Michael Tom, Clark Duncan? Yeah. Is that the guy? He's just big, a huge yeah, black yeah, Michael man. Michael Clark Duncan. He's just
1: massive guy. One of my favorite actors. He,
0: yeah, he's huge, and and he's one of the prisoners. And what's interesting on those two boats is that the person who had the power to blow up the boat of families was a prison guard. Mm. So it wasn't the prisoners, it was a prison guard, and he wanted to live, right? right. So he's debating, and then this uh, huge guy is in all, you know, the orange jumpsuit, right. and he strolls up with that look on his face, which is so menacing, you know, to the guard, and he reaches out and he pulls the detonator out of his hand, and then he walks over to the window and throws it out the window, right? You know, saying, you know, we're not, even though we're prisoners, we're not going to be a party to killing innocent families over there. So yeah, that really pull, you know, you brought that up. That really pulls it out and that's what they're struggling here with. They're really struggling with this issue of who is worth saving and why. Mm. And this really cuts to the core of the entire issue about Roe v. Wade and abortion. And that is, is that in essence, one side of the argument is saying is that this life or potential life will cause difficulty and struggle. And therefore it doesn't deserve the chance to live. Mm. The other side says it doesn't matter how difficult or how much of a struggle it is, what a a burden is, is that it, it now is life potential life. It deserves the same rights as any other human being, because once you become a culture of death, then no one has rights anymore. And so, and today, what my contention would be is that this notion of Roe v. Wade in the seventies, about 50 years ago is today in America, what we have is a culture of death, we have a culture of destruction and it runs rampant without any, uh, accountability. And, and so that's and that is a direct result from the tree of the philosophy of, well, since this. Potential life or life is causing difficulty on other people. It doesn't deserve to have the same rights. And so what it is, is it's a dehumanization. And Mm -hmm. whenever you dehumanize things, whether you dehumanize females or males or human beings, you always end up with a culture of death. And what's fascinating is here, these guys, they're dying to preserve life. But they're, they're struggling with this whole notion of. Wow. Is this guy deserve to live or not? You know, does he deserve it? But so what they're doing is they're basically trying to wrestle through this biblical principle of wow. We were sinners, Christ, God demonstrates his own love for us by dying for us.
1: Well, and I found, um, the way they told this whole story in the midst of this very emotional visit on the Normandy beach cemetery in France to be really effective. It kind of bookends where we, Mm -hmm. we open and close with a very old Ryan Ryan. Right. Um, and I thought that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for great storytelling, um, techniques (laughs) and that's always a good one. Right. Yeah. Uh, And it starts off where, you know, he's in the
0: cemetery, you know, and he's kind of walking ahead and his wife is there and his kids, his son and his daughters, and then the grandkids are there. And so there's, he's got this whole fa- entourage right. of these, people, these people that exist yeah. specifically because of he's alive, his life. Yeah. Yes. his life. And, and he's walking in front of them and he's looking, you know, and the, if you've ever been to Normandy to the Memorial cemetery there, it's just, it's just remarkable because what they did is they used all white crosses exactly the same mm-hmm. and if you were Jewish, you know, they would put the star of David there for you. And what was really amazing about it is it gives it a, it's, it's a beautiful symmetry mm-hmm. in the cemetery and, but the names are carved in there. You don't see the name, but he runs up to and it's he, like looking for a name on one of these white crosses. And then you don't see the name. You just see the white cross and then he falls to his knees and he starts to weep. And then that's how the, the D day battle starts, right. boom. And then it goes the entire movie. And at the very end, you know, Tom Hanks, who's Captain Miller, he pulls him down because he's mortally wounded, leaning against this motorcycle dying. And he says, you know, make this worth it. Mm -hmm. And then he dies. And then they go back to the cemetery and he is kneeling in front of the, the headstone or the cross that says Captain Miller. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he looks at his wife and he says, am I a good man? Mm. Have I lived a good life? And so what, see at its core, he's asking this question is, is have I lived, have I made it worth it? Mm. And where does this, this whole idea come from that we need a sense that our lives had value. Well, the, because it's sandwiched between these two things, the, what he's actually doing is he's saying he's revealing the biblical principle in Ephesians chapter one and first John four, where it says that we live as followers of Christ as a reflection of the life that we have been given by Jesus. Our life is not our own anymore. Right. And, In Christianity, I think this is one of the reasons why so many Christians today struggle with power of God in their life and they don't experience it. Because Paul says in Galatians two 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life anymore. So a lot of people come to Christ, they want to walk in the newness of life, but they think that forgiveness is an option. Mm. They, they think that, uh, uh, sexuality is an option. They think that, uh, making covenants and kingdom is an option. So, so what they want to do is they basically want to say, I want to walk in the forgiveness of God without being appreciative of the life that he has given me. Uh, It's like, oh, save my life, but I want to keep it, Mm. you know, for myself. And it does, that's, and that's why that is the, that is lukewarm Christianity. That is a lukewarm living, you know, it's not an option. That's why Um, you know, it's really difficult to resolve things in marriages when the married couples refuse to follow the biblical approach to resolving the conflict. Right. Right. Um, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not happy. Well, you don't have a choice. Right. You know, as a follower of Christ, you have one option and that's how God said to do it. And Mm -hmm. so you got to do it. And what's so funny is as you get older. You realize how often you've taken the leadership away from God and tried to do it yourself. He still loves you. He still redeems you and restores you, but you realize what a knucklehead I was because (laughs) these things were just so I created so much more pain, so much more suffering in my life. And so the whole point is, is that, um, in first John, it says we love one another because he first loved us. You see, because he loved us and saved us. That gives us the option now to love others. And for Ephesians chapter one, it says that we now live, uh, based on his salvation of us and how he adopted us into his family and made us a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And he seated us at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms and has bestowed upon us every spiritual blessing. And then if you flip over to chapter four, he goes, now let us walk in the manner of the, a uh, uh, manner worthy of our calling. You see it's because we've been given new life. You know, I, I think every time a Christian goes to church to worship God, they should go with the attitude that private Ryan had when he falls on his knees and he looks at his wife and says, have I lived a good life? Mm. And and here it is, you know, 60 years later in his life, you know, he's like 80 years old and he looks back and he goes, did I live a good life? So every day he was striving to say, my life is not my own. Mm. It was given to me as a gift and I needed to make it worth it. And so he wasn't earning the gift. It was already given. He didn't earn it. It was given freely given, but now how do I pick it up and live? in the manner worthy of the calling by which I have been called. So I think Saving Private Ryan is a great movie because it really unveils these deeper biblical worldviews and principles that are necessary for us to embrace in order to walk in the fullness of the joy that our faith in God can produce.
1: Absolutely. Well I'm really excited for this brand new series because Movies and storytelling and cinema are one of the greatest ways of communicating these days. And I don't want to say that every movie is great. And I don't want to say that, you know, we should be throwing a lot of extra money towards Hollywood, but we can utilize what they have produced and some of the underlying principles that are written into these, whether the writers intentionally did it or not to communicate truth that the Bible Shares with us. So um, if it's something that you're interested in, you are welcome to go and watch Saving Private Ryan. It is rated R, so, you know, probably don't watch it with the kids. Yes. But um, it's got a lot
0: of bad language yeah, in it. It's and available. Some bloody gory stuff
1: it's available on most streaming services so um it is fairly easy to get a hold of if that is something that interests you if you want to engage in the conversation that way but don't feel like you have to we we give you the highlight points here on the podcast as well so if that's not something that you're interested in doing that's also fine but um we want to just use these things to help communicate the biblical truth and and talk about it so if that's something you want to refresh yourself on do so. If not, that's also fine. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we're going to continue our discussion about these biblical truths and a little bit more on Save It Private Ryan on Thursday. So we'll hopefully you will join us then. Otherwise, we'll see you on Sunday. Blessings. <laughs>